This is Caroline with Daily Review. This is Kat from Shuffle Online. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review, and this is the Westworld Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode two of season three, The Winter Line. Tonight's episode was written by Matt Pitts and Lisa Joy, and it was directed by Richard J. Lewis. Hey ladies, how are you doing? Good, good, I suppose. Yep, good as I can be in quarantine. <laughs> that was my lady's voice, y'all. I was like, that's good. <laughs> that's my damsel. <laughs> very fancy. Very, very You're fancy. You're welcome for that, y'all. In this big Rona times, we have to make jokes where we can. In the new Ronaverse that we live in, what is like your guys' like hygiene looking like? Because mine is really bad. I know <laughs> Caroline and I talked about this yesterday. We were recording an episode of uh, Schitt's Creek, and it actually got worse today, if possible. I, where are you guys at? What does it mean? How could it get worse? Kat, the deal is that we've all decided that you can either wear underwear or wear pants, but there's no reason to layer. If you're wearing <laughs> pants, there's no reason for underwear. And if you're wearing underwear, you don't need pants. So we're definitely cutting down on laundry. But I don't know how you're getting worse than that, Mike. What are you wearing? Like a sports bra? What are you doing? No, I, I mean, just hygiene wise. I mean, I don't even know where my deodorant is at this point. It's been oh, lost. Okay. I, I don't know. It's bad. <laughs> You're still going to want to wash those pits, you know? That's still a thing. It's keeping me awake. It's like smelling salt at this point, you know? It's, oh, Jesus. Someone send help. What's, it, what's her name? Like Mary Catherine, where you like stick your fingers in your pits and then like bring it oh, up to your yes. nose real quick. That's okay. you. Who, ne- Catherine... who needs coffee when you, like when you run out of coffee, That's that will help. Perfect. <laughs> It'd be like Mike's you know pits. <laughs> I went out to Duncan yesterday. It was the last thing I did really before locking my door. And the only places I've been actually in like the last week has, has been Dunkin' Donuts to get coffee through drive-thru. But I bought a big box of Joe from Dunkin' Donuts, which is just like a massive 10 cup cardboard container of coffee if you've never seen it. Mm-mm. And I, I'm just I'm tapping into it like a keg constantly throughout the day. It's, uh, it's, it's... I want you to just have like a long hose from the kitchen to your to your to your desk, just like sipping yeah. out of it. I've made like a whole gravity based system. It's just like a big <laughs> pump system. I could see that you like have it up on the like the bookcase. Oh my god. That's awesome. The bed sores are setting in. I have to like rotate myself on the bed. <laughs> Fucking shit, dude. Take a walk, man. At least take a walk around the apartment. I Jesus. no longer fit out my door. No. It's too Stop much. It. Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, have you guys gotten to the comfort baking stage of this situation of a pandemic? I think for me, it's comfort crafting because I, I was at the grocery store when we did, the, you know, the the shopping two weeks ago when it was like, oh, shit's going down. And I was like, oh, I could bake. And I was like, nah, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not re- like I the idea of baking is really cool. And maybe if when I, well, I was going to say when I have more time, I have it right now. <laughs> But I was like, even then I was like, no, I probably won't do it. So I have a horde of craft supplies. Like I've been preparing for this and I didn't (laughs) even know it for five years. And I can finally justify all my crafting, hoarding things to the hubs. I did that this weekend. So, you know, though, that's that's a level two. You're, you're, the, the level two is learning to draw a realistic horse. That means you're crafting. So you're a level two. Well, I mean, I'm a crafter before. So I mean, before the quarantine and so you it's, barely even change. You haven't even let Rona change you. Good for you, I guess. But I will say on the point of caffeine stuff, I had to go out because I was out of half and half. And I went to the grocery store and I was like, well, might as well pack up on Red Bulls. My husband requested his own like energy drinks, came back forgot the half and half and i was like what the fuck <laughs> that is the absolute worst have you ever tried red bull in coffee you, you may be onto something here <laughs> just saying 
vodka Red Bulls are a mess, so why wouldn't coffee Red Bull be pretty exciting? <laughs> right. Pretty exciting. I don't know. Is like a bubbly, like caffeinated, not caffeinated. What's the word? Carbonated coffee? Is that a thing? I don't know. That could be kind of wicked. Like bubble coffee, we'll call it. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, I don't like. I don't. I've, I'm pretty settled on like what my combination is for my coffee, and so the thought of not having half and half or just trying to use almond milk or something just made me sad. And I had to go out today and venture out and probably get exposed myself when I shouldn't have. But you know, hard times. So we understand. You don't want to slip to level three depression. You don't want to do that. Stay in your craft zone. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Caroline? Have you settled into uh, comfort eating? Oh, um, heavy snacking was about five stages ago for me. And then I went through can't stop scrolling through my phone. I went through comfort baking. Now I'm in the is that a fucking tickle in my throat stage. (laughs) That's my stage. Yeah, I'm about halfway through. I mean, Kat's really like early in on the stage. No, I'm actually before we started recording this, I was on my phone for the past like three hours. I watched Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner's live building a trampoline. Um, <laughs> I had been watch- tuning in every day because they've been doing lives. And I was like, why not watch someone not like make their coffee? <laughs> and then I just was like scrolling. I was like, oh, I'm going to get started. Like I've wasted two hours when I was going to do something else. And so that's been a real problem. So what level is that? Like that just- is one, two, three, five. You're le- that's okay. level five. It sounds to me like you you're you're a little bit of a of like a sampler. Like you kind of bounce around the stages. It seems you don't really like stick into one stage, which is good for you. Good for you for being able to like back it back down. I think that's great. Thanks. I'm trying. Mike, you're just heavy heavy snacking and uh, no hygiene. <laughs> not cleaning yourself. <laughs> Hygiene has gone out the window. That is actually true. But like snacking wise, I've actually lost five pounds in the last like 10 days. Whoa. Yeah, I think think I'm subconsciously in food rationing mode Mm. in, in case like some kind of road embargo hits. And so without really being aware of it, I have been eating a lot less. I've been drinking a lot of fluids, but I have not actually been eating very much. So I've actually, it's been great for my waistline. Uh, (laughs) Your girlish figure will be back here for the summertime. (laughs) If I have been wearing pants, I think they would have been fitting better recently. (laughs) But it's been a while since I've had pants on. That is for sure. I was working on completing a video game, a very long you know, 100 plus hour intensive video game, uh, even before this uh, started. I've really been spending my free time when I'm not working, kind of still working on that. So my, my day-to-day routine actually hasn't really changed that much. So mm, you, might be, in, you that. might be sort of in denial then. That's like the first stage. You really haven't changed anything yet. Nothing else really matches you. You're not to Dorito yet, and you're not to you're not to bargaining. Well, no, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> antisocial with like human interaction uh, on so on a regular basis. Are not. So, cat, he says this shit all the time. He's like, I don't talk to anyone. He's like, no, a no, magpie. no, no, like human interaction, like actually physically seeing someone. I, I that doesn't really happen that much anyway. All of my life is lived online, so. I'm basically a sim. That's what I've become, basically. <laughs> As we all are now. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming Hot Mike 2020 sim. That's, that's basically my goal right now. Hot Mike, nice. Not, not just like nude Mike. <laughs> Pantsless. Those things may not be mutually the same. Hot Mike and nude Mike, so. <laughs> nice. But guys, we're not here to talk about coronavirus. We're here to talk about the Westworld. 
What yes. did you guys think of uh, the second episode of season three? I liked it that you called it the Westworld. Like it's like the cancer. Like I like that already. Already it's exciting. My first thoughts were I really liked episode one. I felt like it was new, fresh, different. Episode two, I was excited to get into Maeve's storyline. But also I felt like a little bit like, hmm, are we only going to be in Maeve's world right now? Because like I kind of also wanted to know what was going on with Dolores. So I wasn't 100% sure how I feel about that. I know they've done it in past seasons where they you know, jump each storyline. But a little bit at the beginning here, I didn't want to go just all in on just one particular storyline. So I kind of wished I had a little glimpse. But other than that, I think great. But did it bother you last week that it was almost only Dolores? Because we only got a little bit of Bernard and we only we got only a little bit of Charloris and we only got a little bit of Maeve last week. It was really all Dolores all the time. Mm, but we did check in with everybody. That's kind of my point. Is like we did get a little glimpse of Maeve and we did get a little glimpse of, of what are we calling her? Shaloris. Charloris. Yeah, yeah. So so we I so I did get a peep on them. Oh, I guess I just wished I had a like a little peep on Dolores. I don't know what I needed exactly, but just a little peep. Yeah, I think I came in it into the second episode a little differently. The first episode, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the first week of Corona-ness and not having something so complicated that I have been watching. That one dragged a little bit for me, but then we didn't end up finishing it that night when it premiered because Victor fell asleep. And then I was like, oh, it's late. I got to go to sleep. And I actually didn't finish watching it till right before the second episode. I felt like I had a good momentum going into Maeve's storyline since I had just watched the ending of the first one, I think I had the mix where you were lacking, Caroline. And so I didn't miss anything in terms of Dolores. And I actually really enjoyed uh, having Maeve be the central character in this story and seeing some of the uh, scene like Lee and some of the other characters having it more Bernard. Is it who's what's uh, the uh, Luke Hemsworth's character's name? I forgot. Ashley Stubbs. Yeah. So to me, it was really, and it felt faster for some reason, even though I don't know what the, the length of the episode was. It, it wasn't as draggy for me. Um, like I said, that was like week one of Corona. So I don't know if it was just the episode one just draggy cause for those reasons. But I really enjoyed this, this second episode because it was a little Inception-esque with the storyline super good call on the idea that like for bingers that that's like a perfect smooth from one to two because you're right like they gave you that just teeny nugget of Maeve at the very end of one and so then that would seamlessly go into two if you were watching them back to back so super well done for bingers I feel like episode one and two together really served as a good season premiere because now you've hit our three main characters you've hit Bernard you've hit Maeve you've hit Dolores and this episode served, I think, to give a lot of exposition and kind of background. I, I felt like we got some some things shaded in back in South China that we didn't get in the very future world Dolores storyline last week. We got to see a bunch of old faces tonight. We had the return of Felix and Sylvester. We had the return of Hector. We had the return of Stubbs. We had the return of Lee Sizemore. All people that had uncertain futures or we were pretty sure were dead at the end of season two. Were you particularly happy to see anyone pop back up in this episode? I like Hector. So I really like the dynamic between Hector and Maeve. So I was excited to see him when when she looked over at him and he turned around. I was like, oh, Hector. <laughs> I was happy to see him probably even more than really the rest of the crew because he was like her ally and the rest of them were sort of, you know, in and out, but always kind of questionable and mostly on the other side 
side. So I was excited for her to have a buddy, but not so much. Short-lived. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing Hector as well. Um, I forget the actor's name, but I really love him ever since 300. Rodrigo Santoro is the actor. This episode, though, for me, wasn't as confusing as the first episode, even though it's still like the simulation within the sim, whatever, you know, that thing. But it felt like I could follow along. So you really, I felt like you were just connecting with the characters. It felt nice to be back at war. It was war world, basically Westworld again. Yeah, seeing Hector and Maeve was really nice. And then also seeing Lee and Maeve because their relationship was very different. Of course, the way it ended in season two. So it was nice to see him back and the other two. I forgot what their names were. And then it was a bit confusing because you're like, why don't they recognize her? And then, of course, we find out later in the episode. It's really cool seeing the familiar faces and seeing Stubbs. It kind of felt like, I don't know how you guys feel, but when it gets later in the seasons and people just keep dropping off, it feels like you're going from freshman year to senior year and like the seniors are just leaving. And it just feels nice to have those memories back of the OG cast. Reunion-esque. I really liked how they layered in how they revealed the simulation storyline through all the old characters. When she grabs Felix's arm and he looks at her and he gives her a look that it looks like maybe recognition or or something, but he doesn't say anything. But then Sylvester sees her out in the hallway later and calls security on her. And she, she takes a step towards him and then realizes he doesn't recognize her. And then she runs away. And the way they revealed the Hector storyline, I mean, they're together in that Indiana Jones-esque opening scene for quite a while before it's revealed that he doesn't know who she really is, that he's just playing out this World War II storyline. And then obviously the Lee, the Lee Sizemore reveal when it's also revealed that he is just a simulation and he really did die. I thought it was great to use them to tell the story that she was kind of going through. I thought it was pretty smart and just really good Westworld detective story. This is one of those shows where it really pays off to pay attention to all the little details. You guys both missed Hector a lot. Were you surprised that Maeve gave up on him as soon as she did instead of trying to free him? Like she was aware at that point that he he was back in the rotation and didn't remember anything, but she didn't realize it was simulation at that point when she leaves him for the airfield to go meet up with Lee. Were you surprised that she gave up on him and let him go off on his own? Or, you know, girlfriend's got to get out of here and go see her daughter, and, you know, <laughs> via I didn't think of it as kind of like a shun. I think it was more like she knew something was going on. She's like, fuck this. I'm not going to, I bringing someone else in and the fact that he doesn't know who he really is and having to go through that whole ordeal again would just be, be like dead weight to her. I think it was just her fending for herself. I mean, we've seen season one, season two, and it was nice for her not to have to go through that again and them just be like for her just to make that decision and be like I got to take care of myself and figure out what the fuck's going on so <laughs> I didn't mind that at all I thought that I think I, thought, I think it made sense uh I feel like the moment that you call me another girl's name I'm all done <laughs> so as soon as he looks over at her he's like Isabella and she's like done <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's totally me I'm like call me another name and sayonara <laughs> like we're all done uh, can we give a shout out to Thandie Newton's great face acting? The very first scene when she busts out the Italian, so she crinkles her face like, what the fuck did I just say? It was yeah. some great face acting, which it, it kicked off the entire scene with the turned out to be Ettore, formerly known as Hector. The sad look she gives him when mm -hmm. he says Isabella, oh, broke my heart a little bit. I'm not a big shipper of these two, but her face made me feel the pain of realizing that he was not the Hector she knew. The square root of negative one. 
<laughs> I was wondering about this because I think a lot of people could relate to this. Were you feeling slowing down processing time, limited computing time and having your computer freeze? That's what I felt through so much of all of made scenes tonight. Caroline, you have tech issues all the time and we we, we, we do with like recording stuff. Yeah. You know, did, yeah. What was your what was your feeling about Maeve unraveling the simulation plot? We've seen this done before. So I've seen it done on Rick and Morty where you basically like overload the system and that basically breaks the simulation. I guess I thought that she's so with it and she understands so much that they are constantly putting her in these fictitious situations that it didn't really surprise me that she figured it out pretty quickly. I related back to back in the day more than now when we were doing like computer animation stuff at our house all the time and every computer was rendering for like days that's how it felt like. It was like, oh my God, you want to see us overload a computer? Like it is easily done. It was exciting to see the walls like melt down. Like that was very cool. There was a great thing that I didn't pick up on my first viewing, but after I saw the behind the scenes at the end of the episode and I rewatched it, I caught when Lee goes into his total schizoid mode at the quote unquote, the forge. And uh, he's like, like, Lee, 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 Lee. And like he kind of starts to melt and she realizes she's in the matrix. The screen switches from like the full screen to like the movie letterbox format if you watch it again it's a really cool oh. effect that they use as she realizes that the whole thing is a simulation that she i think she even says this is a construct the aspect ratio switches in that scene and it's done really subtly and it like shrinks down to like letterbox format like a like a wide width movie format while she's realizing that it's all like broken that mm -hmm. she, this is not this is not like host in a park this is a complete computer simulation. It was it was really cool how they did that. I didn't either, but I I had seen it in after show stuff that that was like super cool that they did it. How about you, Kat? Did you see the computer simulation breakdown, and or were you like really impressed at watching Maeve uh, unravel the mystery? I was watching it with Victor, my husband, and I kept saying because you know she was wandering through um, the labs, and I was like, don't they have cameras? Like you know, like aren't they like? I thought it was like going on and. And then he was like, why are you thinking about these cameras? And I kept like, I mentioned, I said that like a few times. So I guess subconsciously I knew something wasn't right, but I just didn't, you know, put it together until, you know, she starts figuring it out. But I thought it was brilliant. I really liked the whole st simulation within a simulation storyline. And I loved like her geek sci-fi talk and the way she was doing the tablets and doing the code and everything. Like, I love that. And I love that it's like matrixy and it's inception. It was just a whole bunch of different cool sci-fi stuff and and I love that's how they also used used a way to bring in war world like I thought that was pretty cool like they were able to show us something different that gives us a little bit of the west world if in case you're missing it um like missing the park by doing it in this way with the simulation and having her figure it out and she's just a badass so it was also cool to not have her be a damsel in distress and just you know, she was like, oh, something's wrong. Let me get out of this shit. And she just proves she's the badass that she is. Totally agree. The capable woman was like completely the theme of both episodes. Love it. I think Westworld's always excelled with its awesome female characters. The people who kick ass the most on the show have consistently always been the women because they have to do it for themselves so often. And I even sighed a little bit at this episode when like uh, Sandy Newton having to be like nude back on the slab again. I don't yeah. know that any actor or actress has ever been so nude on a television show even like game of thrones as she has been in just like a cold steel table but you know she makes it work she just grabbed herself a little kimono robe <laughs> and just got the work you know she wasn't letting it yeah. go be extra impressed because she's had children and she is not 20 years old and she looks fantastic you know i thought about that too when i saw it because i know i think she had mentioned when lee sizemore the actor had to show his penis in the in like one of the last episodes of season two and 
he was like, now they get to know how it feels and that he felt vulnerable. And so I was, I would like to see like an interview of why she thought or why she did that again. I guess it, it plays with the story, but I don't know. It's interesting that she chose to continue go on full nude. Maybe it's because she's in power now and she was going to figure it out instead of being it from like a vulnerable place. I mean, the actress is in a place of power. I mean, I think Thandi Newton has really established herself as an important part of this show that makes it work, you know, as much as Evan Rachel Wood. It's not gratuitous the way they use yeah. her. I feel like, and I feel like there are certain characters and, and background, you know, actors that they've used in the show in a gratuitous way, but I've never really felt the way they use her nudity in the show is gratuitous. She's it a, is what it is. She, yeah, she's a robot. You know, it's not. There is no shame there because she's not a sentient being. The way the the way the human lab techs treat her on the show. Well, that and they treat her nudity. I would say more as like art versus like porn. The the lighting's always good. Like it's very well orchestrated in a way that's like she always looks very beautiful and it's it's artfully done. I would not sign up for it, but it's artfully done. <laughs> yeah, but if you. If I look like Tandy Newton, I would. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually. I'm glad, actually, Kat, that you brought up War World because it made me remember. Did you guys happen to look up the reference to the episode title Winterline? It actually has a War World connotation to it. I was curious. I know you, guys... you did. Tell us. The Winterline is actually a reference to several defensive lines that were established by the Nazis to protect positions in northern Italy during World War II, from like late 1943 through 1944. They were like three lines of defense that the that the Germans set up to slow the American or the Allied advance uh, toward, in, in particular, a small Italian town called Monte Cassini that I think believed this town was supposed to represent uh, in tonight's episode. So I thought that was a fun little uh, tie-in. Yeah, the simulation that she has to break down too, I guess, if you're thinking about it that way. So the same way that like last week's episode had kind of like a religious tone to it, but also, you know, the new gods coming and being angry. I thought I thought this episode's title worked in a couple different ways, which was always fun. Let's stick with May before we move off of her. At some point when she finally hacks the system and she gets everyone shooting themselves, completely breaks the simulation, she hacks Harriet the robot drone and has Harriet, the maintenance drone, steal her hurl, her brain ball, and run out. Where are they? Because the warnings about the containment breach were being repeated in English and in Spanish, which made my ears prick up a little bit. We're not in the South China Sea anymore. So where exactly are these computer offices? We'll learn Ciroc's offices. Supposed to be in Italy, or are they supposed to be in Spain, in that little town? In the show, it was... Italy because it was the Germans were protecting this Italian town. It was part of, you know, the Italians okay. were part of so then the I think it's alliance. Spain. But they shot in Spain. They shot okay. in Spain though. Oh, that town okay. is actually a real town that was not a set. They actually took over a town called Bethulu in northern Spain, and that's actually where they shot all of that footage. And I'm afraid all of that geography has mushed around in my brain in a way that now I'm like, I don't know where Sarak is. I'm afraid I was thinking it was Spain, but then now maybe not. It feels like we always have to be on an island ultimately, so maybe I'm going to go with an island still. I guess I hadn't noticed the Spanish, so that's a good clue. It's probably just another island. Maybe, I mean, I know Vincent Castle, who plays Sarak, is French, so I don't know if they're going to play off his thing. I mean, he. He's doing kind of a different accent. Maybe it's uh, in Europe somewhere. <laughs> Who knows with Westworld? It's interesting that it is, I guess, in a different place than Westworld was. Oh. Yeah, I, Spain was 
my first guess too. But then I thought maybe somewhere in South America, later on, you have one of those lab techs that actually turns out to be part of an Easter egg mentioning having a buyer in Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> Jurassic Park famously took place off of Isla Nublar, was an island off of Costa Rica. So maybe it was just another kind of weird shit happens down in Costa Rica with weird stuff. I, I think an island makes sense, but it very much looked like Spain. It had a very kind of provincial, like old European, you know, lots of sandstone colored tile villa kind of feel to it. I love the real life like architect story behind that, that it was like it was really a cement factory in the 1940s. And then this the this architect in real life it changed it over to his office and living space and like when you actually watch her walk through, you can see the funnels like behind her that just appeared to be sort of like wild architecture. But no, they're like the funnels that like the cement would have like been going through. It's really cool. I think it's a beautiful building. Really cool that they got a chance to film there. I thought they ended up saying that they couldn't film there. So they just made a replica of it. I thought they were saying that they were so lucky to be able to film there. I don't know. Oh, maybe. I... Listeners, y'all tell us. My brain was mushy. Maybe I thought that they were so in love with it, but that they ended up could not being able to actually film there. So they had to rebuild parts of it to recreate. Or maybe they couldn't film inside. I don't know. <laughs> I, th I still thought it was a really cool idea. Like just the concept of I, I don't know there's something about like a cement factory and the idea of like offing someone that seems like yeah that seems right <laughs> after harriet the drone is so sadly gunned down on the lawn of wherever they are and the little brain ball rolls out of her hand uh, Maeve wakes up in yet again another fantastic outfit but now she's quote unquote in the real world and we meet finally uh in Duran Sarak who was mentioned last week he was name dropped a couple of times but we finally got to meet the man played by Vincent Castle, like Kat just said. Uh, Kat, what was your first impression of this guy? Is he a good guy, bad guy, good vibes, bad vibes from him? He's definitely shady in some way. <laughs> you know, if he was able to get Maeve back and is able to control her, spoiler alert, he obviously is high up there. Who knows in what regard? But he definitely, I don't think he's good. He is trying to fight off... I guess, Dolores and the reckoning that she's bringing to the humans. So it's just two different sides with different goals, right? So who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy kind of thing? Well, that's a great question, right? And isn't that what Westworld so often comes down to is what is good? What is bad? And it's so often it's just all sorts of gray. I mean, he wants to kill Dolores, who is fucking shit up for humans. I'm a human. I don't want to be killed by Dolores, but I'm you know, sympathetic feeling myself rooting for the hosts. What did you think, Caroline? Is it a complex character or all good or all bad? So I'm going to start super shallow first and say that I kind of wanted a different body type for this actor. Like, I, I know that sounds odd, but we have like three or four characters who kind of have the same body type in a lot of ways. It's this kind of slight man, kind of maybe a little older or whatever. I felt like I wanted him to look very different. I And I know that sounds very weird, but I there was something about him that I wanted to be like visually magnetizing and I didn't feel that with him. And so that like automatically was like, okay, you feel a little, a little dull to me. And I wanted you to be like really kind of glossy and sort of exciting, like just have that like charm. And like, remember um, when we were talking about Wayne from Leftovers? Yes. Okay. You know how he like oozes this like charm and this like part to him that's just sort of like a little bit extra. And I wanted him to be a little bit extra so that you could sort of be a little bit feel like his magic, I guess. I don't know. So I didn't feel that from him. I'm excited to see as his character grows and changes here a little bit for us. He has that aspect to him that he can bring the charm and sort of feel a little bit like that. 
overall, I think that everything you guys said about like, it's all your point of view, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, because no one's really good or bad. It just it depends on how good it turns out for you personally, right? He was actually kind of exactly what I had in my head. I was picturing someone older. Uh, I think he looks a lot different than Liam Dempsey who is the, the John Gallagher Jr. character we met last week, who is not done yet on the show. We're going to see more of him. Uh, so I thought there was a, a contrast there, but he seemed to strike me as kind of the, the continental version of the man in black. So I thought there was actually a, a decent amount of, of suave charm with like a sinister undertone from him, especially at the end. When, and I found, I found myself a little shocked when he stops Maeve's motor functions. Did you guys gasp at that? Did that shock you that, I mean, this is, uh, Maeve is like the definition of free will on the show. I think I, I did gasp a little because I was like, oh shit, because you didn't expect that. I guess in, in theory, she is ultimate free will. And with Dolores going crazy and not having anyone to be able to stop her, you think that they're kind of, they have absolute power in some way. Like they can't get stopped unless it's obviously body shots or whatever. So that was interesting. It just adds another element to the fact that Maeve's not, I guess, what's the word? Um, bulletproof? And what's the, like, uh, I can't think of the word. Like like invincible? Yeah, invincible. I, I like that because it, it adds stakes, right? Like now you know that he can control her and so not control her, but stop her. I guess kind of keep her in line, which in some ways is kind of like, oh, that's what she had at Westworld. And now this person can now do that to her again, which is what she ultimately was trying to free herself of. So in some ways, it's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, last week, Dolores made a point of talking to uh, the shitty German Jerry about how hard it is to break our loops. I, you know, I, I thought of that in this final scene when she stopped with her arm coming down, and he stopped her. And I was thinking about the idea that, you know, at the end, none of us can really escape our programming. It may very literally can't escape her programming, as it turns out. And it made me a little, it made me a lot of sad, actually, to see that. I don't know why. I, I think I associate her so much with being able to control the things around her. Um, so when she can't, I, I think it's always a little defeating. Caroline, did you have a reaction to that to that scene and, and, and how it played out? I did. So you brought up something really interesting, Kat, about whether or not this is just like a kill switch or whether he does actually have control over her. Because those would be two different things. So I'm curious to see how much true control he can exert versus I can just stop you when you're going to do something like out of control. Also, I think that you're right that the idea that the stakes are much higher if you feel like she can't just do whatever she wants whenever she wants that would get old, I think, quickly if we just kind of saw her constantly restart and like nothing really, you know, could ever stop her. In an episode like this where they actually did this little nod to Game of Thrones, one of my most heartbreaking moments in Game of Thrones was, I'm not going to say what character or anything because I don't want to mess it up, but somebody's being tortured and they finally get away. And then they think they found someone who's going to help them and then that person turns them in. And that moment of fucking like heartbreak is kind of how I felt right then because it was like, oh no, like she was free and now she's been turned back in. And that feeling of the kidnapped being free and then suddenly being put back in the room or whatever is like, oh, is like the worst feeling. I think that's what my reaction was too when watching the Harriet drone get gunned down. It felt like Maeve being gunned down and then watching the, the pearl roll out of its hand onto the lawn. I think I had the same reaction to you. It was, you know, she was finally free and now she's not. They did a really good job with that scene in that that was like a motion capture guy, you know, just in a suit running around like that. And that was just like a droid-ish looking thing. And yet I felt it. Like the way that they mm -hmm. made the body like actually do that same motion that a human body does when they get shot where it like 
does that like kind of ripple effect where the body kind of what's the word you say like it kind of waves you know as they're getting yeah, like hit. sunk down yeah, yeah. To, to the knees and then to mm-hmm. the, it kind of collapses and even their chest like as it hits you know they do that thing where mm-hmm. it, like they fall back a little and they come forward and fall back like that the the robot itself was doing that in such a way that it felt very real and very human it, it, it had a lot of emotion behind it the only thing missing was it saying something like you know you know johnny five is alive you know as it like (laughs) slid it out of existence i think she's gonna help sarak take down dolores or do you think uh, she's getting a little bit more convincing oh i think she's very willing to take down dolores but but i think that she is going to do that provided it falls in line with her own agenda the things that she needs to do and if at any point it diverges i don't think that she's She's going to zig when he wants her to zag, you know, if it doesn't suit her. I don't think she has any problem taking out Dolores. Do you guys? Like, I don't think there's any, like, you know, love loss there. Yeah, I mean, she said it in that scene where she was like, I don't care what she's doing. Like, if she's going to take you guys out, I mean, that's not me because she's part of the Dolores' race. Given the fact that he does have that kill switch or whatever, maybe possible control she has to go along with it. I mean, there's really no choice right now in some ways. She also is going to have to kill that kill switch having to go along this journey, but she's going to be maving her way and figuring out like, how can she get out probably or outsmart this guy or see where the fuck she is. And in terms of like, literally and figuratively, that's going to be her. Like, I agree with you, Caroline. She's, I think she wouldn't mind taking Dolores out, but I don't think she cares too much to do it either. I think her end goal is the daughter and that's her main goal. And if she has to do this side story to help this guy out just so she can get back to her end goal, I think she's going to do it. But I think that's always going to be the main goal for her this season. Agree. In that scene with Sorak, we got a little bit of the shading in that we were missing from last week about the man, the man that Liam was talking about that really controls the system. It, the system being Rehoboam, this massive AI that seems to run the world or be you know, the ultimate and predictive text, the way it was talked about last week. Uh, Sorak talks about how Dolores is fucking up the system. It was doing a good job of helping to make the world a better place. And now Dolores is wreaking havoc on it, which made me think it was a question mark from last week. I think I have an answer with this week. You know, the white computer screens that we've been seeing, you know, it says divergence and it'll say like two arc seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, said it, it said that this week, it said it last week. There was also elevated scrutiny uh, last week. It hit me. So that's Rehoboam. This is my theory. I'm curious if you guys agree with it or not. That's Rehoboam taking stock of the world and and noting these anomalies. Like this week, it was an anomaly, uh, what they called divergence, that Bernard returned to Westworld. Last week, it was a divergence that Dolores went to kill the German guy. It was elevated scrutiny that she went to London and started boning, you know, Liam at you know for that month. Am I the only one who's thinking that? Did, did you guys think about that at all? Or you're just kind of like cool white screen and I don't really care about it. Does, does the Rehoboam AI thing, is that is that tickling your fancy at all, Caroline, as a subplot? Or, you know, you want the human drama, you don't care about the tech stuff? I don't know. It's totally tickling my fancy, please. The tech stuff is super interesting. I feel like this whole concept of a simulation in a simulation is going to come back in a bigger form. So who knows who's watching us? We don't know who's watching Ciroc and Maeve right now. Like they could be the fishbowl and there's like something above that. Now I'm super interested in the tech side. I don't know exactly what's going on yet. I haven't put anything together yet. I, I feel pretty good about my guesses so far, but I, I'm, I could be wrong. But I, I like thinking that I'm right all the time. From now. <laughs> 
What's, what's your feeling about Sarak and Liam and the AI and Rehoboam and it knowing everything we're all going to do before we do it? It really kind of fucks with the idea of free will. What, what was your take on that so far? Yeah, it does. And it's funny because I think, like I mentioned earlier about kind of being in a weird spot watching episode one, I was just thinking, um, and I saw it on a tweet somewhere that the the white screen that's showing us like where you, you mentioned that it might be like the anom- anomalies, like noting those anomalies. And I was thinking it was like a rival type kind of thing, the, the film. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's an interesting thing. I don't know why they're doing that, but probably for a reason. It just, I was focusing more on the Dolores part in the first episode and and the other characters and just kind of wrapping my head around what was going on. And then again, in the second episode, those screens showed up and I was like, okay, I don't understand. But now that you mentioned, I think that is, that's correct. Like that's a supercomputer. And now it makes me just happier because I'm like, oh, it's so genius. Like, and also the show just makes me feel so dumb sometimes. I'm like, stop. <laughs> how can I not? And I understand like that's part of the show, but it's, also, one of the more, more exciting parts of the show is the fact that you may have to watch it a few times. You may watch it a few times. You may not even understand it. But the fact that it's getting us to think and talk like this and the sci-fi and the and the tech and everything, it's just so exciting. And I mean, I've been missing Game of Thrones a lot. So this is just so nice to have a show that I can like just analyze, especially in this quarantine life. It just makes me so happy. <laughs> I completely agree. And I mean, I was thinking about this while I was watching this episode in particular, and I've rewatched a lot of season two getting ready for this season. No show since Lost has really made me think about what is happening and rewind, take three hours to watch a one hour episode and break things down and take notes. Even if I like I took I took four, four pages of notes for last week and I didn't even I wasn't on last week's recap, you know, and I still had four pages of notes about the episode, you know, and no show has really excited me since Lost in a yeah. mystery way that way. And, you know, I'm a fellow Losty, so I think I feel the same way. I think Game of Thrones got close because there was a bunch of different storylines in the beginning. Definitely, I think Westworld, that's why I think I love it so much, too, is because it, you get to think critically or you have to if you want to try to get to the questions that may not have answers, which is part of the fun. They retain like a sense of mystery like the whole time. So not unlike Lost, where like every time we think we'd solve something, then it would just reveal like three or four more things. That's totally how this is. You feel like you solve something or you realize something and you're like, well, but what? hold on. If that's the way it is, then that whole idea is blown over there. So yeah, super fun conspiracy little our yarn lines all over the place. Right. But at the same time, something that the show has done so well since season one is it really makes you keep guessing of like, it's like a Russian nesting doll. There's always something underneath it. But when you go back and watch it, you realize all of the clues were there all of the time. Just You just didn't realize how you had to put the puzzle together. It really does encourage you to sit there and think about it, because maybe you will hit on a theory that's right, because the clues are there. You know, they, they really do give you a lot. You just don't understand what you have in your hand, kind of like Bernard. Uh, speaking of, it has that for a segue. This week's Divergent was Bernard returning to Westworld, which we saw him setting up for at the end of last week. Did it strike you as creepy or odd watching him walk through the abandoned park? Did you guys have any kind of like nostalgia for the Westworld of old as he walked through? I guess a little bit, yes, because I definitely ran through a lot in my head about the things that we had seen in the park. I was glad, like you said, Kat, where they were able to tell stories by going into War World. I felt like I'm glad to be able to revisit the park. I'm glad they haven't just walked away from that completely because... 
That's like our little anchor for this show. I want us to keep going back to the worlds. It made me feel a little icky, like the you see the same pictures of like Disney when mm-hmm. Disney is all empty, mm-hmm. or like that abandoned park that Disney has where it's overgrown. It was like a water park that they abandoned. It's like it felt made me feel eerie like that. How about you, Kat? Did it strike you as like, oh, this feels a little weird? Yeah, I think I had a mixture of nostalgia because as much as I love um, as seasons progress in a show, I'm always a sucker for the first season in some ways. Like it's just if if that's what got you hooked, that's like a special place, kind of like a first film in a trilogy. Not necessarily that it's the best, but just that you feel the nostalgia for it. So going back to Westworld, but it being a little creepy. Yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of like going back to what Jurassic Park or something when it was like empty or just like the empty rides and and then seeing the, the bodies and the I don't know. I really enjoyed it, though, I guess, in a in a dark way. I don't know if that makes me dark. A little dark, but <laughs> we're like, you're a little fucked, but no, it's good. Dark in a good way, a dark in an interesting <laughs> way, kind of light and black or like like Ciroc. It's an, it's, a, it's intriguing. You're like the kind of person someone would want to go on a date with, but like during the daytime, not at nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it also mimics what we're going through. So maybe I just related it to it. Everything is empty right now. Like it didn't seem, I guess, as dark now because it's like, oh, that's our world now. So of course, you'd be walking through an empty West world. I like the fact that it was Bernard doing it. I think that added to it. Speaking of things that are creepy, I will never get over seeing a character see other like dead replicas of themselves and when bernard makes his way back to ford's house of horrors to his basement he finds the room of old mannequins and he sees a couple of you know desiccated bernards but he finds a little surprise in the back he finds one ashley stubbs who bernard did not realize was a host until this scene what did you guys think about feeling uh seeing stubbs again uh cat did you have any relationship with him do you care about stubbs in any way did this episode make you feel differently about him? It's funny because I guess I, I didn't watch rewatch season two. I might go back as I watched this season. I guess I forgot that he had died or I didn't think he died, but I knew that he, it was revealed that he was a AI. And I guess I didn't know that Bernard didn't know that. That one was a little bit confusing, like a confusing moment, but I was like, oh, cool. At least they're having a moment. Great moment summary, because I think a lot of people, especially if you didn't rewatch the season finale, may have been lost. So so, so Stubbs, who's been around since like the first episode of the first season, reveals to Charlotte as she's leaving on the boat uh, at the end of season two. He, he says a couple of key lines to her because he realizes that she is now a host and he reveals to her a couple of lines which revealed himself to be a host, which was the first time we had any inkling of that. When the episode ends, that's the last time Bernard is not there. Bernard is already dead. He's he's he was killed, and so he's yet to be remade on the mainland. Charlotte is the only one who, well, Charloris at that point is the only one who knows, and she escapes with the five brain balls in her purse. So Stubbs sticks around in the island, and he explains in this episode that his root programming by Ford was to protect the host in the park, and when if that was to fail he was to terminate himself because that was his core drive. That was his core directive. That's what they were getting at in this episode a couple of times when Bernard reprograms his core directive. And so he tried killing himself via suicide because there's a, there's a, a little detonator, a charge in their vertebrae. And he tried to shoot that and missed, which is what left him in the state that Bernard found him in. There was a, a botched suicide attempt was what we saw the result of. So that's a little bit of catch up. For anyone yeah. out there who who missed that, yeah, that's a good that's a good catch up. <laughs> it's nice having that relief 
in Stubbs in the, in the sense of everyone's so serious. Bernard is so serious because Dolores is, may have done something to his coding and he doesn't know what's real or he doesn't know what's like the sinister Bernard and what's Dolores is within him or whatever. And then of course, Maeve is doing her own thing. It's nice having, now that Bernard is going to have Stubbs as his like sidekick, not be as serious. Like he's kind of our comic relief in some ways or just like a fun character and so i actually am looking forward to like the sidekick like bernard and stubbs the bromance you know (laughs) i'm looking forward to that in the real world too that's gonna be awesome he reminded me a lot of danny glover in the lethal weapons movies i kept waiting for him to say something like i'm too i'm too old for this shit you know like every time (laughs) that's like kind of his vibe caroline you are a westworld og recapper uh Mm -hmm. what's your relationship with stubbs I feel like I knew that Stubbs was a host well before, at least I constantly predicted it. He was one that I pointed out early on. I agree with you guys wholeheartedly that this little duo is perfection because just the small moments like when Bernard like turns him off and like reprograms his core directive and then he's like, you could have just asked. That was so cute and like adorable. And like you said, like there's going to be very few laugh. I'm for it. I've, I think that these two guys are great together. Uh, let's speed forth because there's actually not a lot here with Bernard other than the stuff that happens when he goes into Park 4 where the techs are working. And it was interesting when you were watching the Maeve storyline unfold, the way they were intercutting the Bernard storyline, because they were they were supposed to both be basically at the same places. They both hit the forge. They both are going through the same parts of the park, but they're not running into each other. If you rewatch the episode, do get a tip off that there's something wrong with the Maeve storyline or the Bernard storyline because they're not running into each other, but in one place, the park is completely shut down. And in the other storyline, it's still running War World and there's still like full text working everywhere. There's a nice side-by-side vibe, but let's talk about the little Easter egg we got. As soon as I saw the dragon uh, sleeping uh, in the wall, I was like, oh, a shout-out reference. You know, HBO loves their their cross-synergy shout-outs. But did you guys catch the Easter egg that was also in that scene? I feel like I might have read this somewhere or I don't know if someone told me, but I feel like I kind of knew, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just made it all up in my head, right? But I loved it. I thought it was hilarious it's funny because i just i talked about it earlier like i miss game of thrones and watching westworld just makes me miss game of thrones more in some way and so it was cool seeing possibly uh drogon not necessarily the dan and dave (laughs) but just the ode to game of thrones and what was and i really oh it just it was nice and it was fun it was a fun moment in such a crazy episode i guess uh caroline were you a game of i don't even know do you were you a game of thrones fan caroline so did this resonate with you at all yes i did watch game of thrones i was not as big of a fan because at some points the torture scenes got to be too much for me and i'm kind of a baby about it those things kind of turned me off but then i came back near to the end again was like okay just catch me up because i couldn't see all that poor reek i can't i i enjoyed the whole thing being seen the dragon was like "Ooh, look at the dragon and then i love the jurassic park shout out right then when they were like oh yeah we're gonna take this to costa rica like that was like yay that was the layering there of the shout outs was Super cool. Well done. And like good fan service. I hope that was a Jurassic Park shout out. I think it has to be a dragon. Oh, hundred per- no, it, no, it definitely was because Michael Crichton did both did the original Westworld and did Jurassic Park. And so, yeah, no, 150%. It was that. Yeah, I, I was particularly tinkled when I realized that it was BB and David because I was one of the few uh, final season supporters. I enjoyed the show up to the end. I mean, I wish it was longer. That was my only complaint was I wish they had tacked on two hours and we got more of it. But I, I was, I'm was i one of the few people that was a fan of theirs. I, th- I thought they told a great story, uh, especially with navigating 
the untested waters because George R. R. Martin can't finish a fucking book. Though hopefully with quarantine, he does. Woohoo! <laughs> But yeah, I loved finding out that they were the tech. So not only the dragon, which made me write, yeah, I wrote down Game of Thrones big on my notes uh, right away. But then afterwards, I realized that they were the techs. I don't know, because you never really see them in acting. And it was just so, such a fun thing for them to be able to show their faces, especially after so much hate that they got, you know, during the last season. Even the fact that they were sitting around getting wait, waiting to get laid off, like that was extra hilarious. Like, they did totally. get shit for their show, so... They literally, they got laid off. They ended Game of Thrones and then they got fired from their Star Wars gig. Exactly. So, <laughs> in the end, there was no really rush to end Game of Thrones. They could have uh, oh, done it for a bit longer. That's painful. No man needs a tablet more than Bernard needs one in his hand. He is definitely a tech guy. And we see him kind of go into his beautiful mind trance. Did, was there any significance that you guys were able to pull from the memories he was seeing of the Charloris, the final confrontation with Charloris? where he realizes that she changed the coordinates on where they shot the the new world to, the uh, the forge, the virtual Eden. That was all reused footage. I didn't notice anything in there that we didn't see at the end of last season. The, the stuff that you were saying just a moment ago about the fact that he and Maeve seem to be traversing the same land, but we're not seeing them cross paths. I feel like we are definitely seeing different timelines going on here. And I think that the flashing back stuff, even I'm not sure that every scene was already a used scene. I'm wondering if some are true like memories, if you will, and some are true are things that are, are happening elsewhere or even ahead of him or however those timelines, how they show us those. I feel like there could have been a couple slipped in there. So his moment right there to me was like, okay, here we go. We're starting to split up timelines. Yes, I, I think you're right. I think the one I focused on was the one of the final memories that they showed where he's talking to Charloris, who's got the gun pointed at him. And he says, you know, you change your coordinates and stuff. That was definitely a scene from last season. But there were other flashes in there that went very fast that, that my eyeballs couldn't catch up on that I think you're right are probably hinting at something that is coming down the pipe that we don't know about yet. But I, I was just curious if, if something else caught anybody's eye. Like, Kat, did you take anything out of there or, or decipher anything from there? Because it seemed very important to Bernard. He seemed very moved by it or perplexed by it when they were finished. I mean, he didn't finish though, right? Because he got interrupted early. That That's true. Stuff did interrupt him. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, he took his tablet, so hopefully he can finish it up. No, I'm not I'm not one of those people that can like pick up things really like in that sense. I think I just kind of know that it I'll go back to it. It'll go back to it later. And so I know there's someone that's probably slowed it down and tried to get every little memory that showed on screen. But I don't know. I'm just going to let it play out. I didn't see anything new just by watching it in real time besides like the Charlotte thing was or Charloris or whatever or it was interesting. And I'm sure we're going to see it unravel in the season sets us up for more intriguing things to uh, come about now that he was able to, I guess, kind of code break Dolores a little bit. I guess we'll see how far that goes. Well, he definitely seems to have a track. I mean, he, we saw he found Liam Dempsey, so he's made that connection between Dolores and, and Liam. I think that's helpful that we're going to get to see Stubbs and Bernard in the real world mixing it up with uh, Dolores uh, through Liam. And, you know, I'm a big fan of John Gallagher Jr., so I'm really happy we're going to see him more. And I like that character. I think he's an interesting new character in the show. So I'm happy we're going to get to see Bernard on track as we wrap up. But anything else that we didn't cover tonight that you guys wanted to mention? I think the wardrobe again was, like, awesome. I loved the, the moments with Maeve. Like, I loved her 1940s outfit. I loved her. I loved how Hector was dressed. I loved... Her white dress was so beautiful and sleek. And we had that in the previous episode with that awesome reveal with Dolores and the dress. 
Um, that was so cool. So I think that they're killing it in makeup, hair, and costume every week. Loving that all the time. That's so funny because I was going to mention the same thing. <laughs> Whoever's doing the wardrobe and the costume and the makeup and the production design and everything is just, it's just another level from like regular TV. It's somewhat like, even if you're not, if you get confused with the story or whatever, if you were just to put it on mute, you could just enjoy it as art. And I think that's so interesting with this show. If you're not even watching it for the story, but just as like a, I don't know, it's just like a work of art, everything from the, oh, and the music. It's the, it's the same Game of, Game of Thrones composer. I didn't realize he's doing the music for the show. I didn't, you know, he's fantastic. Everything is just so top notch. And, and as a TV viewer, it just makes me, I don't know, it kind of just makes my little nerd TV brain or heart so happy. I love watching this show. It's just been so good. In this episode, it was super cool how they used like how the loot did the little uh, Westworld song. And then also when they were like running along the wall. And if you like listen, it's a really slowed down version of the, yeah. of the theme. And I thought that was really cool. And I have to I mean, obviously, a huge shout out to the fact that they're doing the like making of the episode every time now. That wasn't always there that I recall. And I appreciate that so much for the things like the the special effects. Like they don't need to totally unravel the storyline for us. But I appreciate them showing like how they did the stopping the simulation and showing mm-hmm. how they actually had like the guys up on the poles and how they like wiped that stuff clean and stuff. Very cool. Very interesting. It makes me appreciate it on so many other levels. It makes me appreciate the show just to know that they're doing practical effects. You know, if this yeah. was uh, George Lucas doing it, that whole shit would have been a green screen. Those actors would have been working off of nothing. But you put that in the middle of a real town square in the sleepy village in Spain and it adds so much intangible like gravitas and reality to it that you can almost like almost taste the dust in the air so great and to see that they were using those stunts and putting them on poles and doing all that all that practical magic ah so so good yeah so so good it leans into that art side that you're saying cat where you feel like they like sculpted the scene they just took all these different parts and actually physically manipulated them Mm -hmm. rather than just doing it by computer all the time yeah i guess that's why it's beautiful to watch because as a viewer, we're thrown so much CGI that that kind of doesn't be, that's just like, eh, you know, like whatever. But when you watch something like this, like you mentioned the practical effects and I'm in awe every time I watch it, just in terms of all those things put together, regardless of the story, it's a beautiful show to watch, I think. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Even if you have no fucking idea what's going on, it's so gorgeous to watch. It feels like the show is more expensive looking this year yeah. and if the majority of that is the wardrobe i'm here for it let's mm-hmm. keep it going I'm, i they are killing it but for me and this is the last thing i want to say was uh, hearing Maeve say uh these violent delights have violent ends made me tingle because i feel like we haven't heard that in forever and for me that sentence has always been so much tied to what westworld is and anthony hopkins and it was so so good it made me tingle a little bit hearing her say that well, this has been the Westworld Podcast for episode two, The Winter Line. Kat, thank you so much for joining us tonight and hanging out in the clubhouse with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And technically, all three of us are guest hosts because every week you're going to get a different mix of hosts. So last week you had Will and Kristen from So I'm Watching This Show, and you had Paul from Daily Review. And so you're always going to get a mix and match of different guest hosts. So I hope you guys are enjoying that. This is Caroline with Daily Review. This is Kat with Shuffle Online. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. 
please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.